0: So you Hi, this is Dr. Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Sunday, August 25th, 2019, and today's topic is stem cell transplants for blood cancers. What's a blood cancer? Well, that would be bone marrow, uh, leukemia, multiple myeloma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. That's the list. Those three things. But in general, I think we can kind of just take a look at it as what does the medical-industrial complex, what do think about this? You know, like, what's going on? But before we get too far, let's go check out our Facebook buddies. See if we can find enough things here to click. We're going to click there, and we'll click there, and we'll click there. Another click there. They're thinking about it. And, uh, ah, click there. I tell you, you got to be careful to say if you get obsolete and not really know about it. All right. Hi, Facebook. All right, so we're going to get started today, and our topic is stem cell transplants for blood cancers. And as we mentioned before, those would be multiple myeloma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and uh, leukemia. All right, so today we're going to take a look at this from the perspective of the medical industrial complex. In other words, we're going to tell you all the good that they know about stem cell transplants. Not only that, I'm going to share with you what your doctor is being told. And this is the full extent of your doctor's knowledge about this particular uh, situation. Now, the thing to... Uh, realize about this is stem cell transplants in the United States uh, they run behind, uh, somewhere between 100000 and $300,000. Uh, the other thing to be aware of is that the uh, just for comparison, the median home price in the United States is more or less $266,000. So the average person could afford this if they sold their home, assuming their house is paid for. That's a pretty huge assumption. So uh, I guess the real question is, what's the average home equity in the United States? But really, you're looking at betting the farm, literally the farm, the place where you live, betting all of this on this therapy. And if you live with someone else, like say a spouse, children, whatever, you are literally selling the house out from under them for this particular therapy. So that's something to consider. So as we consider this, let's take a look at what the medical industrial complex says. And so this is uh WebMD, it's a slideshow, and this is actually something for your doctor. This is education for your doctor, written from that perspective. And so we're gonna see what they say. So this is a nice little simple slideshow, you know. More and more they're educating your doctor with nice, simple, colorful slideshows. And that's okay. It helps things stick in his memory. Um but we want to take a look not only at the facts, uh, whatever we can glean, but the marketing here. So bone marrow and peripheral blood stem cell transplants, all right, so we're looking at stem cell transplants, are ways to treat. These are ways to treat. It means there's other ways, okay? So ways is plural here, so there's other options to treat blood cell cancers like leukemia, multiple myeloma, and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. All right, so we've got a list of things it is an option for treating. And they help restore. That means they do not restore. They help restore. They can be of assistance in restoring. So there's other factors in restoring. What are they going to restore? The body's ability to make blood cells after high-dose chemotherapy or radiation. So it's not a standalone treatment here. you got to submit to the high-dose chemotherapy or radiation, then you get to the uh, $300,000 stem cell transplant stage. Okay. So this is incremental. So you've already already uh going out of pocket for the chemotherapy now just before you guys say oh but Dr. Darrow, I have insurance ha 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 Uh, so insurance does not always cover what we think it's going to cover so it's good to know what the total price tag is and as many as 50,000 new transplants are done each year okay so here's the marketing everyone else is doing it and that's all that's always you always have to worry about that when they tell you everyone else is doing it right okay and so why are stem cell transplants needed? So this assumes the sale. This assumes that they are needed. And so this is wonderful marketing, which is once a person accepts the question, why are they needed, they're accepting the premise that they are needed. Okay, so let's understand why. Why. So the high dose chemotherapy or radiation, which is used to kill buds' cancer cells, also kills healthy bone marrow. And you know, by the way, without your healthy bone marrow, you're dead. So the high-dose chemotherapy or radiation kills healthy cells. Holy cow. All right. So there's a piece of information. Stem cell transplants help restore the bone marrow's ability to produce blood cells, which means it helps. That means it does not do it by itself, which means with the stem cell transplants, you may get restoration of the bone marrow's ability to produce blood cells, and then again, you might not. In some cases... Therapy followed by stem cell replacements cures the cancer in some cases. Now, we can look at what is some. So if I say to you, I want some of your sandwich, am I going to take a bite out of your sandwich? Am I going to take half your sandwich? Am I going to take the whole thing? So If I say I'm going to take some of your sandwich, you know I'm not taking the whole sandwich. In fact, I'm probably not even going to take half. So some, let's just say it might mean somewhere around 25%. But the point here is there's not a number. They're not even telling you how effective the stem cell therapy might be. So in some cases, stem cells, $300,000, or I'm sorry, chemotherapy, which is, well, let's call that 100000 followed by stem cell replacement, 300000 cures the cancers in some cases. All right we're going to say 25% or less. Now, transplants are often plan B. Did you hear that? Plan B, not plan A. Why would it not be plan A? Why, why wouldn't it be plan A? It's, you have to ask yourself that. But this is plan B. So blood cancer treatment usually starts with chemotherapy, either alone or with other drugs and treatments. Experts often disagree. Well, Experts, experts, people who have gone to school probably for as many years as you've been alive, experts disagree. So what this means is there is no clear data saying that one therapy is more effective than the other or even effective at all. So they disagree about which treatments to use. Okay, And I often saw this in medical school. And the thing that really puzzled me was if what we have is so effective. Let's just accept that premise. It's so effective. Why are these doctors always reaching for experimental, meaning unproven, therapies if what we have is so effective? And so, of course, as time went by, I realized, ooh, what we have is not effective. I see. So the doctor's reaching for unproven stuff, which, since it's unproven, we can only surmise, guess, it must be even less effective and what we now have, which is supposedly proven, all right, so you gotta get this in your mind. So, this particular therapy we're, we're examining, stem cells, is plan B, all right, which means it's considered less effective than the other stuff, whatever that might be. And experts disagree. So, if experts disagree, then why should you agree? There's another question. Just ask yourself that question. Stem cell transplants are expensive. All right, we, we, we got that. $300,000 is more cash than most people have in their hip pocket. That's okay. That's okay. You don't have to feel inadequate. It's, it's, for most people, it's a lot of change to come up with overnight. Risky. What does risky mean? <laughs> a a timeout. Let's look at the word risky. <laughs> so, risky means dangerous, fraught with danger, hazardous, unsafe. Unsafe. Touch and go. Treacherous. So, (laughs) informal, in case you're from the other side of the pond, dodgy. That means like, questionable. Gnarly. So, let's take a look at the word uh... Unsafe. See if we can't understand what the word unsafe means. Or why don't we look at the word deadly. Let's see what that means. So fatal, lethal, mortal, death-dealing, life-threatening. And so certainly stem cell transplants are life-threatening, uh, a.k.a. Uh, deadly. Okay? So this let's just call a spade a spade here. All right. So... Usually recommended when chemotherapy fails. So we have a, a therapy that's expensive, $300,000, and that's risky. In other words, deadly. Now, another thing that prompted me to do today's show is uh, a friend of mine, uh, someone I knew in Syracuse, who's known for a long time, uh, had leukemia, she gave me a call, went through all the options. I said, look, the stem cell thing, don't do it. Uh, she laid out all of her options that they, as the doctor... Related to her, so the, don't don't do that. So whatever you do, don't do that. So we did a little manipulation with her diet and some supplements, and she felt great. Things are doing fine <clears throat> for about uh, really a good year. And we'll look later at, at the death rate. Uh, just I'll just tell you up front that uh, for stem cell transplants, people who get stem cell transplants, forty percent are dead in a year. So already living a year, she's doing pretty pretty good with without the stem cell transplant. So she took the stem cell transplant and she was dead in a week. You figure that out. So, however, some cancer centers are trying, trying, that means testing, tasting, stem cell transplants as a first treatment. So it's expensive, it's dangerous, it's deadly. But some cancer centers are saying, hey, let's go for it out the gate. And again, we know we're going to get effectiveness of less than 25% because the word some is used. So, where do stem cells come from? This is a good one. Stem cells come from several places. Bone marrow transplants replace diseased marrow with cancer free marrow. Peripheral stem cell transplants use stem cells collected from the bloodstream. Transplants can involve the patient's own cells or cells from a donor. What about cord blood? stem cells can also come from newborn umbilical cord blood. So just stop right there. So this cord blood is blood that would have gone into this newborn child to help make him a stronger, healthier, and more intelligent, uh, if studies can be believed, uh, child. But instead, he's being robbed of this blood for its stem cells. Okay, So we're going to have some kid out there, we don't know which one, uh, he's going to be dumber and weaker uh, because this cord blood was taken. No one asked him, not that he's in a position to give consent. But many, um, and this is the new movement, by the way, is to cut the cord later, like at least wait five minutes so the baby can get all of his blood in his stem cells and be, ha- be healthier. All right, so some families bank the cord blood for future use by that child or a sibling. Families can donate cord blood for public use. Donated cord blood has become a good choice for patients who can't find a close match in their own families. So it's become a good choice. Finding a match. Some patients can donate their own stem cells. Others must depend on donations from relatives or strangers. Finding a close match is important. So this patient obviously would donate their own stem cells before they get chemotherapy and destroy their stem cells and bone marrow cells. There can be problems if the new cells attack the patient's cells or the patient's immune system attacks the donor cells. Think of that as World War II inside your body and a bunch of at least grenades and bullets flying around. Yes, yes. Survival can be imperiled, and yes, the patient can become a casualty of war and die. In North America, Caucasians, that's people with white skin, have a good chance of finding a donor, a related donor. But the odds drop for African Americans, that's people with brown skin, and Asians, that's people with slanted eyes, because fewer people in these groups have become donors. And they're saying, hey, you guys, step up to the plate. And so, what they're saying is they're unable, let's give you the English translation, they're unable to market or sell this to African Americans and Asians because fewer people from those groups are participating in this lottery and donating their blood. So, so the, the belief factor in these two groups, people with brown skin and people with slanted eyes, is not high enough for them to create the market they would like. All right, harvesting stem cells. So you got someone that says, yes, I will. Count me in. And so collecting bone marrow requires placing the donor under anesthesia. So right there we have the anesthesia risk. Then using a strong needle, <laughs> strong needle. I've done bone marrow extractions. I'm going to tell you. They say strong needle. It's a big, fat needle. Let's call it a uh, slender dagger. Uh, this needle, is, it's, it's a pretty huge needle. It's about an eighth to a quarter of an inch wide. And as it goes through the bone, you can hear the crunch. And it's amazing to realize you're doing this to a person who's alive. And you're sucking out their bone marrow. So as a uh, low-status medical student, this was my job to, to do this. And I was only doing bone marrow biopsies. And that was the good old days where the the person receiving the procedure did not get anesthesia. Oh, no. And it was a gruesome uh, undertaking. So, this takes one to two hours in an operating room. That means that they literally insert this needle several times in several places. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And suck out the person's bone marrow. So, for several days before donating peripheral blood stem cells, donors take special drugs, drug shots, to boost stem cell levels in the bloodstream. Then the donor is connected to a machine that filters the stem cells from the donor's blood and returns the rest. So, there's two ways to harvest it. You go to the operating room or you can be hooked up to a machine after you've taken a few drugs. All right. Mini transplants are an option. Mini transplants. So Rarely established the transplant itself is sometimes effective. Sometimes. Usually not effective, but sometimes it's effective. How often do you think a mini transplant would be effective? I mean just say it. Okay. There's a newer option for older and sicker people who may not be able to handle a traditional stem cell transplant. Mini stem cell transplants, also called reduced intensity conditioning. Can kill some cancer cells. So now they have a qualifier. It doesn't kill some cancer cells. It can. So now we have a a lower minimizing modifier adjective. We've got can combined with some. So can, that means, well, I can jump that high. But will I jump that high? Don't know. But Will I jump that high every day? Probably not. So can... We'll call that another 25%. Of some, another 25%. So now we're down to pretty much 6% effectiveness, if that. Now why are we doing, what, what, why am I throwing in these numbers like this? Well, because they don't give us any numbers. We're using soft, they're using soft figures like Ken in some. And, the, and this is the total lack, just I going to tell you, of quantitative data your doctor has when he's recommending stem cell. Therapy, so we're now down to six percent effectiveness of a mini transplant option based on words like can and some. All right, yet they subdue the immune system enough to let donor stem cells take hold. All right, this requires less intensive radiation and chemotherapy, but may not work as well as stopping the, at stopping the cancer. Again, so we did a little bit of math. We figured out six percent instead of twenty-five percent, and so they're supporting that little calculation. So complex setup, simple procedure. So getting ready for a stem cell transplant can be hard, very hard, with many medical tests, trying to find a matching donor, and enduring pre-transplant chemotherapy and radiation. I think the enduring pre-transplant chemotherapy and radiation is the tough part, but the actual transplant is surprisingly simple. Doctors inject the cells into the bloodstream through an IV while the patient is awake. It takes one to five hours. 100000
2: Republic Broadcasting Network depends on listener support of our advertisers and of our sponsors. We'd like to especially thank all of you who have taken advantage of our fundraiser with Front Sight bonus. Those who are now Front Sight members, please train as soon as possible for your sake and for that of our nation. And please consider sharing your training and what you've learned when you arrive home. Republic Broadcasting Network has to stop promoting this fundraiser on air and on the website in just a few days. Dr. Ignatius Piazza, president of Front site made a gracious exception to his no-media rule for us at Republic Broadcasting Network. Thank you, Dr. Piazza. And once you've been to Front site, feel free to call your favorite host and share your experience on the air. We can continue this fundraiser without media help, but it'll be totally up to the listeners to spread the information. Please call Dan Sutterfield in Missouri at 573-465-2356. 573-465-2356. That's 573-465-2356.
3: I feel like take away
0: my name. Feel like me. say that way Do that? Okay, so we're talking about stem cell transplants. We're talking about um, basically pulling out all of your home equity for this particular therapy and just how effective is it really. And so your doctor is being given a lot of information about this, but no hard numbers on effectiveness. So we're more than halfway through what your doctor has told. Honestly, this is the total full sum total of information your doctor has about stem cell transplants when he is sending you to the specialist or the specialist is considering doing stem cell therapies. Now, I'm going to show you a few more graphs, but, you know, this is this is a lot to bet $300,000 on. Okay. So, we're betting $300,000 on a therapy that takes one to five hours and you get it through an IV. All right. And, but you do have to endure pre-transplant chemotherapy and radiation Another added cost. All right. Waiting for stem cells to take. Waiting for that magic to happen. Waiting for them to do their thing. Okay. After the transplant, patients spend two to six weeks in the hospital waiting, waiting, waiting for the new stem cells to begin making blood cells. During this time, Blood cell counts run low. Well, not a surprise because they just told you that the chemotherapy and radiation destroys, like nada, gone, nothing, destroys the person's own uh, bone marrow cells. So, so it's done. Done. Patients are closely watched and may get doses of antibacterial, that's antibiotics, antifungals, and antiviral drugs to prevent life-threatening infections. Also prevents any return of good bacteria, by the way. Okay. Recovering from a stem cell transplant. So you've been in the hospital for six weeks, you've received all these drugs, let's talk about recovery. After leaving the hospital, transplant patients may face months of daily or weekly exams. In other words, they have to get up, get dressed, and go to the doctor. And if you've ever been ill, that's exhausting just to do that little bit. They may get many tests, including blood tests, chest x-rays, and bone marrow tests. Ouch. Bone marrow test means they put another another needle into your bone marrow. Ouch. During this rehab period, they may have frequent blood transfusions and take antibiotics. They may have regular medical visits for as long as a year until the immune system works well. Okay, so you've just wiped out a whole year of your life. And we're going to talk about what happens during this year in terms of survival until the immune system works well some donors also need recovery time so if you've donated bone marrow for a transplant you might be harmed to where you need recovery time so let's talk about that bone marrow donors donation is also a major medical procedure major medical receipt procedure but we ain't talking tonsillectomy here. So major medical procedure, think abdominal surgery, like maybe a hysterectomy or partial bowel resection or open heart surgery. So donating, being a donor of stem cells is a major uh, procedure, major medical procedure, not minor, major. So do- donors usually face a few days of soreness in their hips. Got that. It takes four to six weeks for their bodies to replace the donated bone marrow. In rare cases, so they've told you, marrow donors can suffer serious infections of ana- or anesthesia complications. So in other words, the donors can die as well. Peripheral stem cell donors may face blood clots, catheter related problems, side effects from drugs given to boost peripheral stem cell numbers. So we have a risky procedure that's not safe for the donor or the recipient. In other words, we have a, so as a person, when they're saying to you, oh, let's consider stem cells, wherever the stem cells came from, whether it's that newborn deprived of his blood, and is now weaker and stupider for it, or maybe even will die, or if it's an adult donor, who, again, is their life is in peril as well. So as a person requiring stem cells, you're like, do I really need to take someone with me when I die, or can I just leave, (laughs) leave the planet? So years of follow-up care, and they say emergencies, so you're going to have some emergencies, main entrance parking, east parking, south parking, medical offices. So literally for years, you're going to follow-up care, and your life is going to rotate around the hospital. So, transplants can save lives. That means, okay, can save lives. However, many survivors face challenges years later. Problems often are related to the process leading up to the transplant or drugs used during the transplant. These include organ damage, hormone changes, infertility, neurological effects, read numbness, tingling, paralysis, and other cancers. (sighs) Research continues on ways to reduce these risks and improve the quality of life for cancer survivors. So what they're saying is, once they prolong your life, because we're all going to die, so no one's going to save your life or make you live forever. not going to happen. But they can prolong your life, but this life that they prolong is going to be filled with these issues. Now, let's take a look At the other, uh, we have some other, uh, some information. Yeah, median home price $226,000, my correction. And we have information on the survival statistics here. So... Survival is determined not by the therapy. We'll be back after this commercial. Oh, please don't go.
2: You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Many people tell us about their experience with Extendivite. Just listen to what Glenn has to say.
4: Prior to taking it, I had diabetic neuropathy. The Extendivite reduced that significantly. Acid reflux was reduced. I had athletes foot, very severe trimmed that down to about 75 percent dandruff almost completely gone i had a simple occipital neuralgia at the base of my skull i was having migraines reduced by about 90 percent heart palpitations my heart would kind of stall out i would skip a beat very uncomfortable and when walking from downstairs going to sleep by the time i got to the bedroom which is just one flight of stairs my heart was pounding coming out of my chest my vision was blurry this completely solved that problem great product thanks
2: Tell us your story. Get Extendivite today. Call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite.
1: Hi, folks. CBD is the home run hitter for health right now. Why, you ask? Because of what it does for the body. Unfortunately, I can't tell you all about the benefits. You know, there's reasons. Do your due diligence and log on to ancientlifeoil.com. That's ancientlifeoil.com. Ancient Life Oil uses organic ingredients and is blended in coconut oil for some of the best benefits. Legal in 50 states and non-psychoactive. Log on to ancientlifeoil.com. That's ancientlifeoil.com.
4: Give such delight We all leave before
2: Morning light Please don't go
0: No, please don't go Hi, this is Dr. Daniels and welcome back to with Dr. Daniels and we're talking about um, stem cell transplants and what they do and what they don't do. So, uh, this is very interesting that you have uh people at the time of uh diagnosis who are, let's say, alive, and in the first year after therapy is when most of the death occurs. So this is an interesting situation it kind of begs the question, could the therapy be uh, instrumental in the death? So, the other thing is, let's look at survival. You have first time getting um, a stem cell transplant, complete remission. Then you have people who are treated for their remissions. And you have people who show up with advanced disease. The important thing to understand about these lines is they don't overlap, all right? So you have this line, this line, and this line. What does that tell you? That tells you that the outcome is not determined by the treatment, but by uh, individual personal factors. So the treatment is not a determining factor. So with treatment, a person with advanced disease cannot get the survival rate that, say, a first-time responder might get. Or even more precisely, a lot of people have the mistaken impression that once they receive therapy, that their life expectancy might return to the life expectancy of the population. In other words, let's say you're... 60 years old and you develop this condition, you get therapy. The hope or expectation is that your life that that person might get back on track and have a life expectancy of 78 years. Mm-mm, mm-mm. No. So, if we look at these survival curves at no point does the survival of a treated individual return to the survival of, their, of the regular population. It does not happen. That's an important thing to understand. Now, they only measure survival out to five years. So five-year survival. If you're the kind of person who responds to therapy, your survival, the first time around, your survival in five years is 50%. So we can average like 10% per year survival, but that's not really what happens. What really happens is 40% of those people who are going to die, die by the two-year point. So after a two-year point, the death rate after two years is basically uh, 3% per year. Which is still higher than the population. The average death rate in the population just by the way is 1% per year. Okay. So what's really going on here when you have these three so-called survival curves, is these people are being separated by how strong they were at the time of diagnosis and their ability of their body to accept and survive punishing intervention of chemotherapy. That's what's going on here. And we know that's going on here because the death rate drops so abruptly after treatment. And so this death rate that we see in the first 12 months after diagnosis that's our treatment therapy death uh, intervention death rate and then the death rate we see afterwards say after the 24 month mark where our uh, death rate becomes a straight line survival what we're seeing there is the death rate due to the disease and again it's three percent per year that's an accelerated death rate the average person In the population, grab them, no diagnosis. That person's chance of dying this year, more or less 1%. So all of these curves are parallel to each other, which, again, indicates that the disease process has not stopped. And the disease process is the same for all three of these categories. But all we've done in the first 24 months and at least $300,000 is assaulted this individual with such intensity that we have separated out, uh, we basically killed the weak ones. (laughs) That's pretty much what's happened here. And so what happens then is you go through the chemotherapy, the radiation, which they tell you is damaging, and, you know, it'll kill you without stem cell transplant, so you've got to do all this, and kill your whole system, shut it down, and then uh, reboot it. So if you shut down and reboot a system that has, say, a bad motherboard uh, immune system, then you're going to still see an accelerated uh, accelerated death rate, accelerated decline. But the fact that all three lines are parallel means that the disease process has not been modified and that the death rate is accelerated much higher than for the regular population, again, the disease process has not been influenced here. Very, very interesting. So I'm going to send this. And this, by the way, let, let's, let's get our sources right. This is a National Marrow Donor Program, United States. That's where that particular piece of information comes from. And you get that, I'll just tell you, from the graph in the middle of the page, looking at the graph and thinking about it. The chit-chat surrounding the graph as their chit-chat, their propaganda, their spin on it. Um, So that's one thing. When you look at the survival rates, you can see that. Now, the other thing that's really suspicious is no one talks about what's the survival with no therapy. What is the survival with no therapy? I mean, Doctor Google has no is like conspicuously quiet on this issue. <laughs> they don't tell you. So untreated, what's the survival? And treated, what's the survival? So that kind of suggests that there might not be a difference, or that untreated. I'll tell you right now, untreated survival has got to be better in the first year because the treatment itself, is, is the kill rate here is uh, impressive. It's really impressive. So... And the treatment depends on the subtype of, of leukemia, how far it's progressed, white blood cell count, diagnosis, and your age and overall health. So these are these are all factors that are really beyond the control of the individual, and also beyond the control of the doctor. And the treatment outcome depends on these things as well. So treatment outcome does not depend on the treatment.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, let's uh, be clear. So I love this one. Most children who develop leukemia are cured before the age of 15 years. In adults. A relapse of leukemia is common. Treatment therapies continue to evolve, that means change, which means the present treatments are not giving satisfactory outcomes. I mean, why would you look for more, right? Why would you keep changing if things are working if things are working? So an increasing number of adults and children with leukemia can look forward to surviving their disease and enjoying a better quality of life. So better than what? Well, better than what they have now with present therapies. So you really have better odds in Las Vegas, I'm telling you. Uh, if I had a cancer, well, first of all, I wouldn't know. I don't get screened, so how would I know? <laughs> um, but if I somehow became aware or thought that I had cancer, I definitely would not submit to this uh, deadly, risky, dangerous uh, process. And I certainly would not ask someone else, uh, some hapless newborn, to give his cord blood and diminish his life, or another human donor to be a donor on my behalf and risk their life, especially when the benefit to me is far less than the sacrifice That they're making far less than the damage even to their life. So, there you go. That is today's uh, topic. I also want to say in the future, I will be still uh, present on Facebook. However, we're going to switch to a um, podcast type format where the episodes will be pre recorded and I'll read questions and read answers. So we're getting together an email address people can send their questions to. Obviously, I won't be answering all the questions because, well, not time. But that's going to be our new format. So here's a couple questions. Mark says, Good job on the idea about the untreated rate. What about the survival rate of those using alternative natural health approaches? Okay, so that is considered uh that's not measured. I'll be honest, not measured. Uh, there is no data collected about that. Now, one thing that's showing up in the internet, which I'm very uh very happy to see, is that people are actually doing their own research. People are actually saying, Hey, uh I've been diagnosed with leukemia and I've tried blah 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 and you know this is what's going on we have people on people are putting videos on YouTube showing what they're doing and what their survival rate is my observation is obviously when they drop dead right no more YouTube videos because well they're not alive so uh, when you get the follow up on these people who are using alternative methods I say when because you don't always um, the survival does not appear to be tremendously different Yeah, so Billy says, I read that someone died in Mexico last week due to complications of stem cells. Okay, so that had nothing to do with Mexico. Yeah, nothing to do with Mexico. Uh, If you look at the information I gave you today, which is from uh, WebMD and pertains to the U.S. use of stem cells, Uh, deaths will will happen. Deaths are expected. Absolutely. So it's not that... um, Mexico might be especially a bad place. Yeah, so no, there's no, unfortunately there's no therapy about alternative or natural health approaches. But the point is, at least people are starting to put their experiences on YouTube um, or blog about their experiences in terms of the natural healing space the problem, though, is many of people who do use natural methods also use this very dangerous, harmful, damaging, unnatural stuff. So it's difficult to sort out uh, how much their lack of progress, let's call it that, is due to the known harmful effects of this radiation chemotherapy stem cell process. Um, So all I can say is, you can check out the graph. I think I, I put it there. Yes, I put it on Facebook. Check out the graph, and then you can see where you are on the graph. If your survival is higher than the graph and your data point, let's say you're one year out and you're still alive, then you're, you're ahead of the graph. You know, you can just graph your, pro- your progress. So the further out you go, the better, you know, obviously the, the better the result. So if a person's doing conventional or alternative therapy, and they're six months out, it's really too early to tell, you know, where they're shaking out at. Now, another thing is, even though you have this this amazing graph, which is nice, if you die or if you live, for you it's 100%. It's not 50%, 40%, 20%. You're 100% alive or you're 100% dead. So it's not possible to know if your survival is better with alternative methods. One thing it is possible to know is, is your quality of life better with alternative methods? And that is very easy to tell pretty quickly, pretty early on, because um, they give you a nice little list of complications, discomforts, uh, and difficulties that a person will experience going the conventional method. So I think early on, before the five-year point, Really, all you can measure is your quality of life. And I wouldn't even say before the five-year point. I would say at the two-year point. Because at the two-year point, uh, with conventional methods, uh, the death rate becomes 3% per year. Whereas with therapy, the first year, the year one death rate is 40%. And the year two death rate is another uh, 10%, more or less. And so, and then you have all the difficulties and your whole life is spent every day going to the doctor and, and, and being stabbed with needles. So you have to sort out that upfront cost. And what you want to do is if you can just lower that upfront cost, then at least you're going to have a life worth living, however much of it you have left. And many people are treating the doctor like a fortune teller, which is exactly what he is, a fortune teller. Because even though you're looking at this graph, even though you can see that your chances of being alive in five years are maybe 20%, range between 20 and 50%, which is not that huge a difference. You know what I mean? Either 50% of folks are going to be dead or 80% are going to be dead. That's a pretty high death rate. Um. The doctor can't tell you which one you're going to be. He has no way of knowing. Are you going to be the 50% who are dead in five years or the 50% who are alive in five years? And for that kind of gamble, I mean, the roulette wheel in Las Vegas, the red and black, you know what I mean? Just equal numbers of red, equal numbers of black. You might as well put your $300,000 on that bet. Spin the wheel. That's it. Double or nothing. Double Keep the family house and get the therapy.
3: Hi,
0: this is Dr. Daniels, and welcome back to Healing with Dr. Daniels. Okay, and we are answering some questions. So, Billy's wife went to the hospital because she had some pain in the midsection, and she now has a 10 centimeter mass, they say. Uh, we don't know where it is, but his wife wants to get a pap smear. Uh, and she's taking she's pooping four times a day and taking turpentine. So what I would do if it was me is I would handle it palliatively. What does that mean? That means I would continue to apply uh, turpentine and do whatever it takes to relieve her abdominal pain. But if they can't tell you what a 10 centimeter mass is from, in the central abdominal area, then you can just stop right there. So with an ultrasound, believe it or not, they should be able to tell if the mass is from her uterus, from her ovaries, from her kidney, or her intestines. That much they should be able to tell from an ultrasound. A lot of times, they won't tell you what they do know because they want to get you to do um, an MRI or CAT scan or other more expensive thing. So the thing to do would be to get an actual copy of the ultrasound report, uh, make an appointment, I'll review it with you, and we'll sort it out, and I'll tell you exactly what the report says, what it means, and what they really do know. We started using rice bran instead of soap to shower. It feels and smells wonderful. Yes, it does. It's an amazing experience. <laughs> it makes you feel just, like, rich. <laughs> is rice bran soluble enough not to worry about clogging our drain? No, it is not. However, it's small enough to if you, you know, put enough water behind it, you're good to go. So, when I was in the United States, I used rice bran a lot and never ever clogged my drain. However, coffee grounds clog my drain every time. So, uh rice bran all you have to do is just put water behind it and flush it down and you're good to go. It says thank you, you're awesome Dr. Daniels. You're welcome. And Jamila, You'll be so beautiful. It's amazing. Carmen says, Dr. Janice is adding a podcast format but stated she would still do Facebook Live. No, I would not do Facebook Live. I'll be releasing the video on Facebook. It, so it won't be live. I mean, I'll be taping it live. But uh, it won't be live as in me sitting here doing it in real time. So Facebook, okay, but YouTube, no. I don't know about YouTube. Uh, I'm I'm investigating that. (laughs) Ability says, oh, I know there's nothing wrong with Mexico. I'm just saying, okay, yeah. I just wanted the other listeners to understand that there's nothing wrong with the medical technique in Mexico. In fact, um, you know, I'm sitting here in Panama and we have a um, medical... Uh, tourism industry, which is just amazing. And when they do these things, they actually fly in U.S. docks and they make sure they use the same equipment, same techniques, everything as in the United States. And of course, they have the same uh, mortality as well. There you go. Elizabeth, thank you so much for sharing this. I'm going to share this with everyone who's listening. Elizabeth says, I was diagnosed with in December after a car accident with a bone tumor in my shoulder. I didn't buy into any of it and was just resting. Went back in July for x-rays, no further examination necessary. In other words, a lot of these x-ray findings are what we call incidental findings, They themselves are just there, but do not indicate an illness. Do not indicate anything that needs treatment. Do not indicate anything that's going to lessen your length of life or quality of life. And so what happens is all this testing is done when you maybe have a car accident or you have an ache or a pain and they discover something. There's a shadow. It's a shadow. And actually, that shadow was there, I don't know, maybe five or 10 years ago. (laughs) And it hasn't been a problem and will never be a problem. But because of your frame of mind and because of the way the doctor frames the story, you associate this laboratory finding with your health or lack of health when actually uh, the treatment of that finding would be of no benefit to you. And so Elizabeth found this out just because she said, you know what, I'm not buying it. I felt fine before the car accident. I'm just going to rest. And it's key. All she did was rest. She didn't do any fantastic over-the-top alternative stuff. No, just rested. So a lot of stuff your doctor is trained to tell you is actually irrelevant. And all you have going on here is a modern-day fortune teller who instead of using chicken entrails, he's using uh, biopsies or pieces of your own flesh, or he's using um, damaging radioactive energies and saying, oh, I can see your future now. And it's just as unreliable as the chicken.